Open it up there if you want to join us there. We also continue to hold before you the little Bible booklets that we have been printing out in the book of Proverbs. Again, it actually is just the Bible, uh, the text of the Bible and the, for you, all of Proverbs 18, giving you an opportunity that you can follow along with us, but also mark this up in a more kind of just prolific way than maybe you would. For those of you online, same invitation as we say each week. You might want to be doing this as well, so you can go to our website, calvaryroswell.com. Go to today's message and just click download. It'll have a, a, a place there where you can download the notes, download that. It'll be a PDF that you can print out or you can just use on your device. Either way, it will give you the opportunity to do what we're encouraging all of you, just to mark it up this evening. And I want to just hold before you kind of my, t- my uh, little legend here that will show you how I'm going to use it, but you can use whichever fashion you want. We're going to use a colors here for the screen, so I'm going to use a green circle for those that are good focuses and the line that flows out of that for the result that would take place of that, a red box for the bad focus, and then a line out of that that'll be the reality that flows from that. We use a little blue line there for the contrast, the connection, the conjunction that often connects the two uh, sides of a proverb so you can be able to see that. And then we'll also just kind of use purple for God and his character. And then I also you're going to use blue. I don't have that on a legend for just anything that's kind of neither good or bad. It's just a statement of fact. And so however that works for you, we just invite you to do that, that you would be able to take this this evening and track with it, circle it, write on it, do whatever it works in a way that God would be able to take this in a way that would speak his truth into your life. So with that before us, let's do what we do each time. We want to come and just ask that God would give us help in this, that he would take his word and present it to you in a way that would help you right now where you are. I'm going to ask for help in that, and I just would invite you to pray as well, that God would speak to us tonight in his favor and faithfulness. Lord, here we are. I got your word before us, and I think about the incredible potential there. Your word that is able to guide our lives. <clears throat> your word that's able to direct us into all that you have for us. God, we need that. We need you and just your faithfulness to be the one that would give us that strength, give us that guidance, give us that clarity. I think of your word that can do that. Help that to be the case tonight. Help it to be the case that we both understand what's before us, but God, you would take your truth and just perfectly weave it into our hearts. Lord, maybe even a single one of these Proverbs tonight being the one that we need more than the others. Would you help it to jump off the page, as it were, so that we know, like, that's what I'm needing right now. That speaks into my life right now. Lord, help us to hear you. Help us to hear what you're saying. In your faithfulness, God, would you work, please, beyond uh, anything that we could imagine, beyond our strength. God, would you be the one that just guides us into what you have for us now. Lord, we're asking for it together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The book of Romans ends with a statement of who God is, that to God alone, wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And in this statement, it reminds us right now that we think about God. He's the only one who is actually wise. I mean, if you think about wisdom and you think about getting wisdom for life and wisdom to to make good choices, God's the only one who is altogether wise. Now, that's helpful for us to again understand. So as we think about other sources, they lack the wisdom that is perfect wisdom. Only God does. But he is the one that has perfect wisdom. There's not anything in your life right now that he would look at and go, wow, 
That's a biggie. That's a tough one. I have no idea what you should do. It's not anything. That's one just good. I don't even know. I mean, there's nothing that is that. He knows you. He knows what he's doing. He knows why he's doing it. He knows where life goes. He sees the beginning from the end. And he, as the God who is all wise, is the one that speaks to us wisdom. Proverbs is that. Proverbs is a book of wisdom, but ultimately it's God speaking to us his wisdom. That the one who is wise is communicating to us help. And longing that tonight, as we again approach this, that you would recognize God is the source of that and that he would be the one, the only one, who is all wise, who would speak wisdom into your life this evening. May it be so by his strength. Well, we made it up through verse 11 uh, last week, and so we join in the middle of our Proverbs 18. We're going to be in verse 12. If you want to make your way over there, if you haven't already, in our booklet, and we dive straight in to learn the wisdom that God's going to speak to us. He says it this way in, in verse 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. We kind of dove into it at the end of the last week, but I just wanted to go back and pick it up because it's a good space for us as we just launch into this, that he's inviting us into this place where he would tell us, when you think about destruction, when you could look at it and say, okay, before you get there, before life you know, hits that, that terrible destruction, before something goes terribly wrong, you would be able to look and say, okay, so often it's pride. The heart of man is haughty. It's proud that would stand against that. But it's also true at the same moment that you can look at honor and you can see that something's going to go well and it's going to be marked by favor and strength and honor. And you would say, before you get there, there's a road that gets there and that's humility. Humility is that which would draw our lives into this. Proverbs speaks about this over and over and over. The danger of, of pride, the destruction of it, the place of bringing our lives into just humbling ourselves before God. I think about how it would say it in Peter, actually quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And Peter just kind of says, if you really believe what we're saying in the book of Proverbs, that you know, pride is going to bring destruction, but humility is going to bring honor, therefore, what you should do is you should make sure that you're on the right side of that, that you are humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's where we need to come this evening. Pride is so often what gets us in, in a mess. Pride is so often what you know, brings our life down and to the, be that place where we would come and not puff ourselves up, not think greatly about ourselves, but come and say, God, I just want to just submit to you and your ways and who you are and what you have for my life. It becomes altogether very much what we need. You know, I was chewing on this, and then last night I was, I hopped on Facebook before I, I was going to bed, kind of looking at pictures of my grandson, because he's on there a bunch. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I saw Michaela Colker posted this one, and I liked it so much I thought I'd share it tonight, where Spurgeon says, come and take a lowly place, be little in your own esteem, that the Lord may make much of you. He says, come. You know, here, you just need to be, you know, you need to take that lowly place. You need to take that mark of humility. You need to say, okay, I'm not all that. You know, that I'm, I'm going to humble myself under God's mighty hand because if you don't, I can tell you where it's going. You know, again, the prophet says, I can tell you. I, I can tell you, you know, where that road goes. 
And, and you could look at it and look at somebody who really does make a mess of their life and goes again, you know, you, you just see a, a, a destruction, you see a, a, a big confusion. You can look and say, I know where that came, I know the road that led there. It was arrogance, it was pride, it was resisting God's way. But you can look at honor and you can say, I know what did that. I, I know where that goes, and he invites you and I to be those who, in that space, humble ourselves under his mighty hand. May he make it so for you and I this evening. All right, well, you can turn the page. Proverbs 18, verse 13, you know, we've noticed this, and again, one of the things about Proverbs is we, we jump from subject to subject almost in every proverb, and so jumping this time, he comes and he says it this way. He who answers a matter uh, before he hears it, it is a folly. And ashamed to him. So we kind of just understand it. it's pretty clear. He says, okay, if you're going to answer something before you really hear it, you're going to answer a matter before you hear it, he says, that's folly. That's a shame. And it's a pretty clear proverb, is it not? Now, I, I, I know that you guys probably have no understanding of this. It probably never happened to you, uh, but I'll tell you how it's happened to me. You know, that you kind of be in this place and you're in a conversation and pretty soon you have something to say. Like you want to tell that person what you think and they're still talking. And so you're kind of waiting. You're waiting for them to stop talking so you can talk. You know, you're waiting like, okay, are you done? Because like, I, I, I'm going to tell you what to do. I mean, I'm ready to, you know, tell you exactly what this is. And you just, you know, you, you already know. And sometimes you'll even just jump in and interrupt them. Like, hey, you know, okay, can I tell you what I'm thinking? You know, and, and here's what he's telling us. That's dumb. You know, that's a folly. It, it's a shame to be in such a place that even before you hear you know, what someone's really thinking or where they're going through. He says, if you're, you're all ready to give an answer, you're not even paying attention. He says, that, that's just a mark of folly. That's just a mark of shame. And it's worth just noting that. It's worth just understanding that because it kind of is in that space before. If you don't get there, you're, you'll be that person who walks in pride because you, you, you probably understand it. Again, maybe you guys have never done it. Just kidding. Uh, but I know I have. And I can look back and say, that's such arrogance. That is such arrogance to think that I already know the answer and I haven't even heard him yet. I haven't even listened yet. You know, I think about what James tells us where he says, so then my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Swift to hear, slow to speak. It's just really good advice. That he says, okay, you want to be, you want to be wise? Listen. Listen before you speak. You know, and then be slow to speak. I think about it in that kind of uh, traditional proverb that is actually attributed to a bunch of different people throughout history. So I'll just kind of give it to you and without a, kind of telling who, but just God gave us two ears and one mouth so that you can learn that we need to listen as twi twice as much as we say. God gave you two ears and one mouth. Kind of take that to heart. You know, like, okay, you know, it, it, you know he, he's saying something, you know, about the way that we're supposed to be processing things and somehow even in his creation. And so, hey, he says, don't do it. Be someone that, that's not that way. You know, when you catch yourself there and, and, and you're in that space where you find yourself ready to give an answer before the person's even done talking, humble yourself and say, okay, I'm just going to listen. I'm just going to listen a little bit longer. I'm going to hear what's being said before I give an answer and, and make sure that I'm actually paying attention. Otherwise, it's folly. All right. Verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? The spirit of a man, the heart, the person on the inside is the idea here. He says when that's going well, that, that can hold somebody even though physically they're not doing well. 
even though they're sick, that just to have that, that sustaining heart for where they are going to hold them up. In contrast, when somebody's spirit is broken, when somebody's spirit can broken, when you, when you can see that, who can bear that when, when a spirit is you know, not doing well, when the person on the inside is broken? Now, Proverbs has been speaking about this a number of different ways. He's, God's reminded us, even back in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, he told us a merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. That when, you can, when your spirit can be good, it can, it can actually be life-giving and even helpful, but when your spirit is broken, uh, it can be so destructive. Now, this isn't meant as an accusation. This isn't meant as a condemnation. It's just a simple truth. And I want you almost just to see it for a moment. It's almost if you could choose. If you could choose to have a good spirit, a healthy spirit and a broken body, or a broken spirit and a healthy body, it would be better. It would be better to, to say, I'd rather on the inside. Because that can, that can hold you up. I mean, you can go through a lot of things. You can go through things when your body's not going well, when things aren't going well, if your heart is good. I mean, if you're holding fast to God and you're walking with Him and, and you have joy in Him regardless of what's happening, when you can have that, it can carry you through some hard days. Some of you know this. Some of you say, hey, that's, that's my road. And, and some of you know people like this. And you're like, I, I know that person. Boy, they, they, they're going through a hard thing. And yet you sit down to, with them to talk and they have joy. You, you, you go over to give them comfort, you know, kind of thing, because they're going through something, you know, cancer or something like that, and you sit down to kind of encourage them, and they're encouraging you. And you're like, wait, no, I'm here to kind of build you up, and you're doing so well. That's a great thing. But then you can be around somebody that's, you know, their, their heart is broken. And again, I'm not speaking with condemnation. I definitely am not saying, hey, this, like, you shouldn't be that way. It's just one of those places of recognizing when that's, when that's wrong, when the inside's broken, it can just... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're healthy and you got a good job and you got a good family. And I mean, when that's kind of there, it's, it's just so needing to, to, to find that well. And that's what God can do. I mean, one of the things we come at this evening is recognizing he's not just looking at this and saying, well, that's just the way it is. That's how you're going to have to live. No, our God is the one who is a healer. And he, he is the one that heals us often physically, certainly going to be in eternity, but he heals hearts now. Uh, he, he, he renews our spirit. He, he can come. It's what, what God does inside of us is he fixes that which is broken. He, he fixes that which you know, is, is of a broken spirit. I'm just telling you, it's a good news to be able to come and recognize our God does this, that Jesus is the one that heals. He's the one that can do this. And if this finds you in this space this evening, may you recognize, you know, I need, I need my heart fixed more than I need anything else. I mean, yeah, I'd love to have a good body and love to have it healthy and I'd love to have everything working well, but, but I need that person on the inside because that can hold you. It can hold you through hard spaces. And again, simply very true. Verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. It's one of these proverbs that just come in and says, hey, this is the place that we need to be, a place of seeking is wisdom. He says, when you have this heart of someone who's prudent or wise or doing life well, it's because they're acquiring. They're, they're seeking to grow in the things that God has for them. And the ear of the wise, the person who is that wise person, is seeking knowledge. You know, I, I find myself thinking, I hope that's where you are. I hope that's why you're here on this Wednesday night, that you're coming and saying, I, I, I need 
wisdom. I need God's word. I need truth. I need to grow in those ways. And, and if you are, if that marks you here this evening, then it's a good space. It's just a place of saying, you know, we recognize God's the one who's all wise. We're the people who are needing it. May we be those who are approaching even uh, tonight, but even the book of Proverbs saying that's what we want to do. We want to acquire knowledge. We want to seek wisdom. We want to know that. And he's the one that provides it. All right. Flip the page. Verse 16. It says, A man's gift makes room for him, and it brings him before great men. So a man's gift, a gift, uh, a gift giving, a place in the midst of this. It's not speaking of a bribe. We've talked a little bit about that in Proverbs. It's not the same word, uh, even in the Hebrew, that would speak about a bribe. It's a gift. And he just says a, a man's gift can make room. It can open up spaces. It can open up places that would be there. And at the same moment, it's amazing how far that can go. It could even bring you before great men. It can open up great spaces. And again, this isn't a manipulation, nor are we speaking about bribes. But I just want to pause and say, some of you already know this. I mean, you know this really well. But if not, let me just speak it to you. There are so many ways of communicating. I think about some of you in marriage, you've you know, read maybe one of those books, books like The Five Languages of Love or something like that and talks about different way of communicating. That sometimes you can communicate by doing kind things. Sometimes you can communicate with words. Sometimes touch, but sometimes a gift. A, 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 giving a gift is sometimes an incredible way of communicating and, and, and speaking that. And simply what this is saying to us is that's true. That sometimes just being that person that, you know, would seek to, to, to communicate and be involved in other people's lives and bless, and it's an amazing thing that it, that it does. Again, for some of you, you understand this well. Some of you are that person. It is your love language, and you're like, yeah, that just, boy, when somebody just thinks about me and, and gets me something, it's just, it's the world to me. It's amazing what that can do. Others of you, it's not so much you, but you found out it, it is a good thing, you know, to, to, to be that person who says, hey, I'm, you know, going to go get somebody a gift, I'm going to buy somebody flowers, or I'm going to, you know, pick up something and just say, hey, you know, just thinking about you. And it's an amazing thing that in one sense, how often that can open up spaces uh, in, into hearts and lives. And again, it's just one of those places that says, you know, invites us to do that, to be those places that we could say, hey, that, you, that one of the ways that we get to communicate both truth and wisdom and love is through that. And certainly, again, just echoing out part of the way that God has designed us, and good for us to see it. All right. Verse 17, the first one uh, to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. It's a great proverb, right? So the first one to to plead his cause, I'm going to use a blue line because it's not really a statement that it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just simply true. The first one to come and give his cause, it just seems to be the right thing. But until his neighbor comes and examines him, either having the idea of questioning him or the Hebrew can have the idea of contradicting uh, him. This is so simply true. I, I think you probably know this, and it's one of those axioms that you could sit there and say, that's something I need to make sure I live by, but let's just pause and make sure we see it. You know, it's that kind of place that the first time you hear a story or you hear an account of something, sometimes it just seems like, oh yeah, that's, just, that's totally true. That's just the way it's happening. And then it happens. Maybe you hear the other side of the story. Maybe you hear the other side of what's taking place. And then sometimes that just changes everything. I'm trying to figure out how to say this well, but I'll just use practical and true-to-life illustrations. You know, think about it. I get to counsel every now and then and talk to couples, and it's kind of funny how this actually plays out. 
Sometimes somebody's like, man, Pastor, we just need to come talk to you. It's a mess. And they tell me the story. They tell me what, what's gone wrong. And it's, and, and it's like, oh, man, okay, yeah, we need to talk. <laughs> like, uh, like that's, we need to talk. And, and so I, ha- I totally believe like the one side. And then the other person comes in and shares it, and they share the story. And it's a very different story. And, and, and here's the kind of a simple deal. Sometimes that just, it, it all gels together. And you're like, okay, I, I can understand where this is going. Other times I find myself looking at them and going, are you sure? that you guys were in the same room. I mean, like, you're, you're like, this isn't like an alternate universe kind of thing. I mean, you're actually like both, because you guys were in the same, and it's not a question of sometimes being right or wrong. Sometimes it's perspective. But one of the things you learn to do in the midst of that, if that has ever happened to you, if, if ever somebody's come and told you something, like, hey, I should tell you what happened, and, and you totally buy it hook, line, and sinker. You're like, oh, that's terrible. And then pretty soon you're telling everybody something terrible has happened. And then... You hear the other side of the story, and you're like, okay, wait. Um, I, I believed it. I don't, I don't know why I didn't pause. So it kind of goes back to that idea of the person who, get, who answers a matter before they hear it. And one of the things that's just simply altogether wise is withhold judgment, withhold decisions until you've heard the whole story. Um, be that person. I mean, again, if it's for you that you, you're dealing with a friend uh, you're dealing with people who are in the midst of it, and, and you hear part of a story of what's happening, and somebody's asking you for advice or your help to fix it, it would be really good if you'd say, you know what, I need to hear the other side of the story before I make a decision or before I even know how to hear this. I need to, you know, maybe I need to reach out to that person and say, hey, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how to help it. Maybe there's two friends that uh, have gotten into an argument, and, and one of them is like, man, I can't believe they did this to me. And you, you know, hear that side of the story and say, you know what, I'm going to reach out and hear the other side of the story before we try to figure this. And it's sometimes when you do that, it's like, yeah, that changed everything. And, and there's just something about that kind of wisdom that says, hey, don't believe just one side of the story. I, I've known so many Again, conflicts uh, that has happened in families, conflicts that's happened in friend groups, where sometimes this is actually what happens. Like, so you just heard one side of the story and ran with it. Like, really? I mean, it's not always that the person is being deceptive. Sometimes, again, it's just two people saw the same thing in very different ways. And sometimes that added person can just be there. And so he just invites us, like, recognize this. Recognize the, the, the ability of this and be that person who, if you're going to step into things or try to walk in the midst of, of, of relationships, that you do your best to hear both sides of the story, uh, especially before you kind of judge, because it's the way this is kind of worded. It kind of has this idea that it's almost in this like legal or um, kind of cross-examination, and again, it could be kind of speaking to those who actually have that, you know, but I think sometimes it really is that in life, where you're trying to decide what's right or wrong, and you're trying to figure out how to help, and just be the one that hears both sides of the story, because it will often change everything that you thought was happening. All right, verse 18, casting lots caused contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. Casting lots, in the Bible, we find that it's often this way. A lot would have the idea of, of a way of, of a chance kind of thing. We would probably just say it into our world, you know, the flipping of a coin. It's probably close enough in the midst of this proverb. It says, okay, this will just cause contentions to cease, and it keeps the mighty apart. 
This is not a statement that you can always figure out God's will by flipping a coin or any of those things. It's not that. And it's not really necessarily a good or bad thing, but it is just practically wise. That sometimes when there's, you know, people that are kind of getting at odds with, sometimes the best thing you can do is flip a coin. I mean, again, not decisions right or wrong. I I don't know if that makes sense to anybody else. I'm just going to tell you, it does to me. I think about being a dad of three daughters. There were many occasions where we're going to flip a coin. You know, it's because, you know, we're going to, you know, this is not a place that I'm going to, you know, choose you or you or you, you know, and, you know, you you kind of ask everybody like, hey, where do you guys want to go out to eat? You get like three different opinions. I mean, sometimes the best thing you can do is like, okay, we're just going to like throw all the names in a hat. We're going to pull one out. Okay. And that's where we're going. Random chance. I'm not choosing anybody's choice. You know, I'm not siding with anybody, you know, because if you choose one, they're like, well, yeah, you always choose her. I know she's your favorite, you know, and yeah, then pretty soon everybody's mad. And he's like, I just was, we have to go somewhere to eat, you know, I mean, it's just, but sometimes the best thing you can do is just like, hey, you know what, random chance, just like, you know, and and it's like, okay, you know, nobody, nobody got that way. And it's just a practical piece of wisdom that honestly can keep conflicts at at bay in families and friendships. And it's not, again, a, a, a statement that it's always, you know, the way that God guides, but certainly is the thing that can do this, that he says, okay, this will keep the mighty apart. This will keep, you know, people from coming to blows. This will keep people from getting angry at one another. This will keep, you know, that kind of thing, because you're just walking in it with a little bit of wisdom and says, okay, maybe the best thing is to cast a lot or flip a coin so that nobody uh, kind of gets angry. Good piece of wisdom. Maybe helpful in a situation you're going through right now, because sometimes it just is that, you know, and just, hey, just do something that kind of de-escalates uh, just the conflict in the midst of it. It's a good space of going. All right, flip the page. Verse 19, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So a brother offended is drawing us to understand this picture of this place of somebody who's hurt, they're offended. I mean, you guys understand a, a offense in the midst of this. And he says, okay, when that happens, when you find somebody offended, it's as if, you know, the city's barricaded, like, you, like, you know, there, there's high walls around it, or there's an impossible thing to get there. He says, and then if there's contentions, and there's arguments in the midst of it, he says, those would be like the bars of a castle. In many ways, this is both a statement of fact, a statement of problems, but also a statement to avoid. That in one sense, probably obviously in one sense, is it's a lot better to, you know, figure out the problem before it gets to an offense, you know, kind of get there, because once you get there, sometimes it's really hard to get back. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish that in one sense we could talk about this as if nobody here knows anything about this. That you're like, man, I've never even heard that. I mean, maybe that happens in China or something like that. I don't know. I mean, but here's the deal. Some of you do. Some of you, you have somebody right now. It's a family member and it's a friend and they got offended. And they put up the walls. You haven't talked to them. Maybe it's been six months. Maybe it's been a year. And, and, and it's like, ah, how did that, I mean, we got into this thing, something happens, everybody got mad, and now, boom, you know, I mean, it, how do you break through the walls? How do you get past that offense? And how do you kind of get there? It's a sad reality that so often it can become that, that pretty soon it's no longer even about the issue that, that led to the problem. It's just people offended. They're hurt, and, and they're offended, and, and that creates such incredible conflict. In many ways, just both a statement of reality, but also as much as we can to avoid it. That said, I found myself thinking about this and 
thinking about being, people being offended and how that works. And I was thinking about Jesus talking about the last days. And in Matthew 24, he looks at the things that would lead up to the final days of, uh, before his coming. And he just simply says, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. I have found myself just chewing on this one for a little while. I, I don't know about anybody else, but for me, I feel like we've moved into a time in world history when people are more offended than I've ever remembered people being, you know? It's like, everybody's offended. I mean, everybody's offended, and they literally are betraying each other, and they really are in this place of, of hating one another, and, and Jesus says, it's going to get that way. You know, he goes on to say, the love of many is going to grow cold. It's going to create these kinds of places where, you know, people are just isolating and building up their own walls against each other and, and the offenses in the midst of it. And in one sense, just a sad reality that that really is kind of the world in which we're living in. And I, I don't know about anybody else. I think about the last two years, uh, three years. I, I just, it's, it's been explosive for me. I, I, just everything. And, you know, families. I, I, know, I know families that are divided right now that because of events, whether it was COVID or BLM or, or something in the midst of it, and now they're just, you know, it's like, what happened? I mean, and, and sometimes it's even small things. Like, we really, we're arguing over this, and yet, what a crazy space. Yet he invites us, obviously, to, to recognize how problematic that is. And obviously, again, it's a statement of a bad thing. And maybe it goes without saying, but I'll just simply say it. Don't let it be you. <laughs> Don't let it be you. You know, the person who gets offended, recognize that's, that's, that Jesus is not making that a good statement. He says, love of many are going to grow cold, you know, as much as we can. You know, don't be that one that gets offended and just, you know, locks yourself off like a city wall and, and, and blocks yourself off from other people. It's really hard to break through that and definitely a place of, of just messing up relationships and longing that it would not be uh, where we stay. It would not be where we go in, in the midst of all that. All right. Well, keep going. Verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth, and the produce of his lips he shall be, fulf- be filled. So we look at this. He says, here's the thing. You know, we look at this, a man's stomach. It will be in this place what you enjoy, what, what you derive as helpful. It's satisfied from the fruit of your mouth. From the fruit of, of the produce of lips he shall be filled. It's kind of an interesting proverb. I mean, in one sense, that a lot of Hebrew scholars are kind of like, what are we saying? I mean, what are, what are we talking about? It's not obviously literal, but it is a picture of something that is satisfying, fulfilling even in our own lives. And it would seem that he's talking about the way that we use our words. And we think about this, and the next proverb probably uh, connects to it, so we'll see that in just a moment. But I pause here just to note that he's telling us something about the, the, our lips and the way that we would be communicative and the way that we would use wisdom and, and words. And he simply says that it would be satisfying to you. I mean, it's going to be good for other people and it's going to help other people. And we've kind of walked through different things, even just saying, hey, we don't offend people and we're going to kind of stop conflicts before they happen. And, and it's a blessing when you can be one that speaks wisdom. But the, the blessing doesn't just go back there. It flows back. It's, it's a satisfying place when you can be one who walks in wisdom and speaks wisdom in, in your life and world. With that in mind, why don't you just flip the page and notice the next proverb that probably continues the thought and maybe helps us see it just a little bit more. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. 
and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life. Death and life, that's, that's, that's as big of a contrast as you can get. I mean, that which brings life and that which destroys. He says that's in the power of words. That's in the power of your tongue. Simple statement. Incredibly accurately true. James would talk a lot about this in James 3. Some of you know it. If not, you might want to read it later, where he just talks about the power of the tongue. You know, that, that it's when they can bring in destruction, it can bring in help. He says it's like a, a rudder of a ship that can change the course of lives, that can turn things in powerful ways, and it's just simply owning this reality. So we're talking about wisdom. We're talking about what we say and what we communicate. And he says, if you believe this, if you believe in the power of wisdom, if you believe in the power of, of being one that speaks things that are both true and life-giving, here's what you'll find. You can be a person that brings life or death. You can be someone that speaks things and it breathes life into other people. It, it breathes life into relationships. It breathes life into things that are happening or your words can destroy. Which again, James would say it's like a, an un, a, a, a untamable fire, something that just destroys lives in the midst of it. And it's worth, again, just noting this to be true. Now, I have a sense that probably for many of you here this evening, I'm just underscoring it. I just want to tell you, this is one of those proverbs that's worth you just remembering. You know, like, okay, death and life are in the power of the tongue. I should not lose sight of that. But some of you believe it, and you, and you know this, and you have figured it out in your life. And so out of that, again, you're careful in what you say. You choose to speak and, and say, okay, I'm going to speak truth. I don't want to speak you know, wrong. I don't want to speak evil. I don't want to be one that incites gossip. I don't want to be one that, you know, brings in, you know, condemnation into other people's lives. I'm going to choose my words carefully. And again, for those who are there, I just get to speak this and say, it's true. You, your, your words, they're either life-giving or death-producing, and it's happening all around you. But the scary thing is for the person that doesn't really believe it, for the person who almost holds that childlike rhyme, you know, sticks and stones will break, my, break your bones, but names will never hurt me. It's like, really? It's actually not true. <laughs> it's actually not true. You know, anybody who knows anything about life say, you know, bones heal often long before uh, the way words can destroy. And, 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 and that, that what, the, what words can do can determine somebody's life. I know so many lives who, who their whole lives turned on a conversation somebody making fun of them, somebody criticizing them, or, 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 and they'll say, hey, that was the last time I ever spoke in public, or that's the last time I ever tried to sing, or that's the last, it was that one conversation that destroyed me. And others would say it was the other way around. You know, there I was, I was kind of struggling, and one conversation, it turned it for me. One conversation spoke life to me and said, hey, you have, there's, there's power in what you do. I believe in your potential. And, you know, maybe again as a musician or maybe as something. And, and some of us say, hey, there was one conversation that I mean, it's incredibly powerful to realize how, how much that happens. And so he's just inviting us to understand that so that we're not flippant. We're not in the place of thinking words don't have value or power. No, we realize that's honestly true. Words. They, they are that which is determining our world. It is interesting, by the way, if you can get even close to this, uh, of understanding what this is, to then think for just a moment about Jesus. 
it, when, when John begins to describe him in the Gospel of John, he begins it. You know, you have the other Gospels, you get the announcement of Jesus being born and, and his birth. But in John comes, he says he's the Word. He's the Word. He's the Word. You know, he's the Logos. He's, he's the one that is that which speaks into life. That somehow to look at Jesus, he's, he's, he's not just, he's the Word. He's the spoken Word. He's the Word that his life changes everything. And, and yes, his death. Yes, his resurrection. But who he is, is that power of the Word. The, the Logos that would change life. And so it is true for us that in one sense we need to recognize that. I would pause and say this. Maybe tonight, that's even not where you are. That what you need is Jesus. He's the one that rescues. He, he died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And he's the one that speaks life. He's the one that is the word of life. So that when he speaks to us, it, it, it's life. It puts our, us on, on the course of life. It puts us on the, on, the, on the way of life. And he's inviting you to that even now. If that's anybody, then we invite you to that. But if you're his, in some ways, you hopefully understand this. Like, that is true. He's the, he's the one. He's the one that in his tongue, in, in his word, is my life. And in one sense, to find that to be so good and helpful. And then again, to move into it. So death and life are in the power of the tongue. That what you say literally can change other people's lives. But part of what he's doing here in this proverb, which is tying back into what we just saw in the previous one, is that those who love that, who, who really believe this, who really believe that, that what you say is helpful, you'll eat the fruit of it. It will be that, in the words of the previous proverb, it'll satisfy your life because you believe it. Because you, you value what's being said, you value what's being spoken, and not only will you be a blessing to other people, not only will you be a one that, that people look to for wise counsel, who do come to you and bring problems, and you're that person that says, hey, you know what, I got to hear so, both sides of the stories before I speak. I don't, I don't ever, <laughs> you know, just jump on one side of this because that could be a problematic. If you become that person, you will be a blessing, but you will be blessed. You will find your own self in that sense being met. Because that's how it works. The, the way wisdom works and the power of the tongue works so that you'll eat the fruit of it. Or again, in the previous one, he just simply said that, you know, that you'll, your stomach will be satisfied from the fruit of your mouth. That as you're speaking that fruit into other people's life, it, it actually is satisfying to you and you will be filled. And it's just simply true. I hope it's you. I hope as I'm talking about that, you're like, that's true. I mean, I've kind of enjoyed, hopefully you'd be able to say, maybe even for somebody here this night, you're, you're able to say, that's, I've, I've experienced some of that this week. I, I was in conversations, I was talking to somebody, and I was able to just listen carefully, speak truth, speak kindly, and you walked out of that feeling edified. I mean, you're like, I don't even know. I just, I, I, I helped them, but I feel helped. I, I, I spoke truth. And, and kindness and gentleness. And, and I am on this side of it, you know, just sensing God's favor. I just want to tell you it's a good space to be. I hope you experience that. But I'll also point out the converse is true. If you've done the other side of it, like you spoke foolishly, like you spoke before you listened, you only heard one side of the story, you, you made the situation worse because you opened up your mouth. It is so emptying. When you're done with that, it's like, man, 
I messed everything up, and I, I just feel like my soul is empty. I mean, I, 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 I didn't help other people. I think I made the problem worse, and I myself feel unsatisfied. I just want to tell you it's true, and, and it's the way wisdom is in the midst of it, so he's calling us to believe it. Just say, I'm not that person that doesn't value the power of words and the power of speaking into other people's lives. I, I get it, and I want to be one that in my sphere of influence, whether it be my friends or my family or my church or my neighbors, I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to make sure what I'm speaking is that which is truth and righteousness and just, and I'm not going to you know, become party to those things that would go badly, and you will find not only is it powerful, but it's satisfying. Prove it out. Prove it out in your life. I hope you're on the right side of that. All right. Well, leaving that, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So it has this idea of of, of finding a wife, of this one who's being blessed by this. If you find a wife, if you find what that is, it's a good thing. And if that works that way, it's favor. It's obtaining favor favor from the Lord. Okay, let's walk around this just briefly. A bunch that we could say about it. He's certainly not endorsing endorsing in that sense every marriage. I mean, there is a sense of self-destruction. There are those who, who in the midst of it, it's not that. Instead, we're looking at what marriage is meant to be in the midst of it. And I know in one sense, I'm probably saying the most basic thing, but can I just say it to you here? It was God's idea. God created marriage. God created relationships. He designed it. He designed how it's supposed to work. He designed what it's supposed to be. And, if it, and he cares. He cares about how that works. He cares about establishing it. And again, I'm probably speaking uh, you know, to the choir in that sense, but in one, just, you need to know that. I mean, it's a weird thing that sometimes you can be, even in a church, and some people be like, you know, um, yeah, I do church and say, but yeah, I do marriage the way I do it. Like, you know, I'm my person. You know, I either do marriage the way my parents taught me or I do marriage the, way, the opposite of the way my parents taught me. Um, I, I follow the model of the world or whatever that would be. And how much folly that is, you know, to not say, okay, God, if you could find what God has, if you could find a marriage that God designed, that, there, there's favor, there's blessing where you look and say, this is what he wants. To, to be on that side of it, to be that one who is a husband that looks at his wife and says, you're a God-given gift. And it's equally true on the other side of it. To say, this is God. This is God's favor. And it's as if you could look at it and say, of course this makes sense. Of course it makes sense that, you know, to do marriage or relationships the way that he wanted it, not only is it right, it's favor. You know, I, I, I wish I could just tell you how important this is. Of course, we live in this world that is morally confused right now who thinks that they can decide however they want. You know, whatever they determine marriage is, they say it is. And I'm just going to tell you, this is not going to work. You're not going to find favor. You're not going to find the way that it was designed. It doesn't work that way if you're changing the model. And if it was only in those things, it would be heartbreaking to look at our world and think, yeah, you can call it marriage. Yeah, I guess you can call it, but it's not. There's no favor. It will not be a blessing. It will not, you know, work the way that God intended it. But would to God that it would be true even in those who aren't living that rebellious of a lifestyle, but would still be there. And again, I, I, I'm trying to be careful because I don't, I, I'm definitely not talking about anybody here in case anybody's like, are you going to tell them, Pastor Jim, about the conversation we have? No, I'm not telling anybody about any conversations we've had. But I'm just telling you, I just wish it was so. 
I wish it was really common to sit down with a couple and them saying, we're trying to do it God's way. You know, I, I want to be the wife that God intended me to be, the husband that God intended me to be. Why would I ignore what God had to say? Why would I think that somehow I know better? Or, and, and it would just be great. It would be great in a church if everybody was there. It's just not the case. It's just not the case. Some people are like, oh, I don't, you know, you tell them, it's like, well, it's right here in the Bible. It's not the way I'm going to do it. It's not, that's not me. That doesn't fit me. I'm going to do my thing. It's like, really? You're going to do your thing. That's going to go really badly for you. That's not going to work really well for you. you. Do you want a relationship that God wants for you? Do you want a place of his favor? When you find the, the, the marriage or the relationship he's designed, I'm just going to tell you, look, and it's a beautiful thing. Some of you know this. Some of you know this because you are doing this. You're, you're trying to walk in a, in a God-given marriage, a relationship that's of him, and you would sometimes just look and say, this is good design. Like, he really did a good job. He knows what he's doing. I mean, he actually designed this whole thing pretty well, and there's favor. There's, there's God's blessing on doing life his way and, and doing it that way. There's a place of that, and it should just make perfect sense. Now, none of us are perfect, and so none of us have this all figured out. We're all messes in that sense moving forward, but hopefully you're in that place where in this you would say, yes, I want God's wisdom for my marriage. Yes, I want God's wisdom for the Halloween. Yes, I'm going to say, God, you tell me how this is because I want to find this place where I could say, I want to find what you have for me and say, that is good. <laughs> that is a good thing and that's a blessing. And, and certainly he would be the one of doing that. And, and again, just one of those places that would to God that it would be so in our lives that we would say, of course, I'm looking to God. Of course, I, I want to do it his way because that's where his blessings are found. It's true. It's true. Hope you understand what that is. I hope you could be in that space and say, it is good, it is favor. All right. Verse 23. The poor man uses entreaties, but the rich answers roughly. In one sense, we get a statement of fact. Just saying, okay, for somebody who's poor, who, who knows they're poor, then all they can do is, 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 is plead and, and, and use entreaties to try to speak and, and to invite to things, whether speaking to somebody else or God. In contrast, the person who is rich, who feels, you know, their own kind of ability in this, so often it's arrogance, it comes across roughly. In one sense, again, a statement of fact, absolutely true. But I can't help but come across it and say, what an incredible spiritual truth this is. See, the Bible tells you and I how we're supposed to come. Jesus would say at the very beginning of the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who figure out, that's all I have. I'm coming as a pauper. I'm coming as somebody not arrogant and not trusting in my own abilities and not in my own stuff, and, and I'm, I'm pleading. And that would speak both into relationship with God, but even with each other, and, and certainly God is inviting us to that way. What a great danger it is when we really feel rich, when we feel like, hey, I, I'm, I, I have a lot to my name, or I have a lot to... Uh, my character, and it makes us arrogant. It makes us answer roughly, and certainly it's meant to be seen as a bad thing, and, and calling us into a place where we would be those who would be poor, would say, okay, that's a better place to come, because it just flows out into the very way that we communicate. Very true. All right. Well, last one of our chapter, verse 24. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 
This is one of those great proverbs, right? I mean, in one sense, it's such very practical advice, and I just want you to get it. So a man who friends, or a man who has friends, like, okay, if you're going to have friends, you know, you know what you need to have friends? Then you're going to have to be friendly. Now, that's a really simple kind of understanding. It's so needed. Oh, please understand. If you could go back to where we began last week in Proverbs 18, we talked about the danger of isolation, that the man who isolates himself rages against all wise judgment, says, okay, I don't need people. I don't need anything. It's a bad deal. We've been made for relationship. We've been made to know God. We've been made to know people. And because we're seeking to overcome this this distance, because we're seeking to be those who move into relationships, sometimes it really is a desire. But here's this really funny thing. See, I know people, and maybe you do right now, and they don't have friends. And the problem is, they're not friendly. Now, I'm not talking about personality. I'm not talking about that. I mean, here's the deal. They'll be there, and they'll be like, yeah, I came to church, and none of those people like me. They don't talk to me. You know, I don't have any friends at church. I'm like, really? So when do you get here? Well, I'm always late. You know, so you come in after it starts. And, and then when do you leave? Oh, I, I'm the first one out the door. Hmm. So when were they supposed to talk to you? You know, so like, I mean, you, you want friends and you don't ever stay. Like, you don't come early. You don't meet anybody. I mean, we have fellowship on Sunday mornings between our services. It's like, hey, you want friends? You want to get to know people at church? You should come sit. Oh, no, I don't, I don't do that. Well, we have Wednesday night dinner. We have an hour. We get here at 5.30. You want to come and fellowship? Oh, I, I don't. You don't have to eat. If you don't want to eat, come sit. And just be like, I don't want to come and sit and know people. I mean, I, I, I would like to have friends. I would like to have people in my life. And yet here's this really weird thing. There are so many who struggle feeling lonely, feeling cut off, feeling like they don't have friends, feeling like the church is an unfriendly place, feeling that they don't have it. And yet it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's like, well, you know, (laughs) like if you want friends, you're going to have to be friendly. I mean, I don't know how to be kind of, I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just, it's like, there's a problem here because it really would work. I mean, there's some pretty friendly people here. I mean, like they would really like to sit down and talk to you if you would come and talk to them, you know, and you would find out, you know, it really is true. If I'm friendly, I can have friends. You know, if, if, I, if I'm actually will talk to people, they might actually talk to me. It's kind of a really crazy thing, but I'm just telling you, it's not a hard thing to understand, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm making a little bit of fun with it. The sad reality is just so true. There are people in our city right now who are in their homes and they have no friends. They, they, if they go to work, they go to work and they come home and, and they don't know anybody and, and they feel lonely and they blame the world. Man, it's such an unfriendly world. And they blame the church. Again, they, they blame you. You guys are so unfriendly. And it's like, I, really? Come and talk to us. Like, come and, I mean, really, we, would, we, we really would, and if, we, if we, we need to grow in that, we need to grow in it. But I'm just saying, it really does work. And, and, and so I, I'm speaking this, and I guess in one sense, I'm probably speaking to somebody that isn't here unless you're watching online and saying, hey, give us a chance and be friendly. But maybe I am speaking to somebody in this room right now. You're like, you know, I just, I don't really know people that well. I, I'm not, I don't really have friends. Well, then come invest in it. Choose. Choose to say, okay, you know, I'm going to come early to church, and I'm going to stay after church, 
and I'm going to come when they have a fellowship meal. And maybe, maybe even crazy enough, I might even invite somebody out to lunch, you know, and be like friendly, like, hey, would you like to go grab a bite, you know? And he's like, okay, it's a really crazy thing, but you will discover something. It actually is, is really one of the very practical things. And you're, if you're looking for something really complicated, it's not that complicated. But in one sense, he just says, okay, if you want friends, then be friendly, you know, in, in the midst of it. Incredibly practical advice. I mean, I just love it how real it is, and I don't know how to say it any better than I just said it, not mockingly, but it's certainly just inviting to it. In the midst of that, though, he invites us to something that's really powerful. He says, there is a friend. There is a kind of friend that is that friend who sticks closer than a brother, the kind of friend that when you really gain that friendship, they're there with you through thick and thin. Uh, It's not always when you're friendly, because sometimes even when you can have those unfriendly seasons, and we all have those unfriendly seasons, you know, where it's like, you don't want to be around me today. I'm on the wrong side of the bed. You know, just, you know, and someone's like, hey, I'm with you. Like, we're, we're good. You know, I'm fine. You know, not going to hurt my feelings. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll we'll have coffee next week, you know, whatever. I mean, you can kind of have those kinds of friends, and it's a, it's a good place to kind of get to a friendship that you have that level of friendship where it's not just a surface friendship where it is all based on your friendliness where it's all based on hey today you're nice and so people like you but it's like hey get a kind of friendship that will say I'll be with you through thick and thin I can be with you on the good days I'll be with you on the bad days and it's a good space for us to kind of move into that a good space for us to long for that type of friendship that said it's worth noting that for many they they look at this as obviously not just a picture of what a friend can be but the true friend that we really need. You know, we've talked about it a little bit, and I just land on it as we begin to pull to a close this evening. God is meant to be your best friend. I I don't know if you know that, that he really is. He is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that would walk with us through thick and thin, and in so many ways, just a relationship that we would find him to be our best friend. So if I can use the words of this proverb, you want that? Do you want God to be your best friend? Then be friendly. Talk to him. Tell him everything. Tell, tell God everything that's on you. We're going to close in a moment. We're going to sing that hymn. You know, what a friend we have in Jesus. You know, what a, what a friend. You know, all of our sins and griefs, all, everything to bear. What a, what a privilege we have to carry everything to him in prayer. What, what folly it is that we would go through life and ignore the one who would be our best friend. Ignore the one that says, tell me everything. Cast all your cares on me, because I really care about you, he'd say. That I really want to be that person in your life. I, I, I wonder, and I hope it's true for, I would wish it would be true for everybody here this evening. I know it's probably not true. But may God make it true that you would say, he is my best friend. I tell God everything. I tell God everything. Yeah, I pour my heart out to him, you know, sometimes in, in joy, sometimes in sorrow. But I have discovered that God is that one who is that friend. What an incredible friend we have in Jesus. He is. But you're not going to enjoy it if you're not that person who isn't friendly, who isn't pouring out your hearts to him, telling him everything that's on your heart, investing into that relationship. And I just want to close with an encouragement to that, that in the midst of all of this, that we would find ourselves thinking, God, I need you. I, I, I want to do this with you. I want to walk with you and find out that he is more than we've ever understood to be, that he is that one that would be that friend 
who would you know, never leave you, never forsake you, always walk with you, abide with you, and, and be that one. May we know that. So let's close there and, and just go to a form prayer right now and ask that he would draw us into that relationship. God, we think about you tonight as the only one who is wise. In a world that's so not wise, we're glad that you are. God, guide our lives into all that that would be, but guide us into life with you, that we would discover that you are that friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. What you you are to us in that. May it be that that's exactly what we know, that we have found you to be our best friend, that we found you to be the one that we can talk to and cry out to and turn our lives over to. God, would you make it so right now as we just lay all of this before you and ask you to lead our lives in wisdom. We ask for it now. In Jesus' name, amen.